Listen up, real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and agents. You're in the right place. Unlocking the secrets to real estate investing and entrepreneurship. Welcome to the Titanium Vault, hosted by RJ Bates III. Here's RJ. Hey guys, welcome to the Titanium Vault. I'm your host, RJ Bates. Today I'm sitting down with my good buddy, Scott Bauer. How are you doing, man? I am just phenomenal, man. Appreciate you uh, inviting me to be here. Happy to be here today. Yeah, this is long overdue. I I was a guest on on your podcast, uh, the Hashtag Invest This podcast, a a long time ago. I think it was like a year, year and a half ago. And so this this has been long overdue to get you on the show and, and be a guest. So uh, for the people that don't know who you are or haven't listened to your podcast, uh, quickly kind of introduce yourself and tell us what you do in real estate. Yeah, definitely. So my name is Scott Bauer. I'm here in the Phoenix, Arizona market. Uh, we run, I run a company called HBSB Holdings. Uh, it's a holding company that primarily wholesales, fix and flips, has a rental portfolio. Uh, we do some sing- or multifamily syndications and um, and I have the Investors Podcast, so yeah. out there trying to provide value for people. So let, let's talk about your company real quick, and then we'll circle back around to the podcast. Um, so you, you do a little bit of everything, which is similar to what we do. Um, what would you say is the, the vast majority of your business? Is it wholesaling, flips, rentals? What does it look like? Yeah, so it all really stems from wholesale. So really, it's a marketing play first. First and foremost, we're sending out marketing, we're getting opportunities put in front of us. And then at that point, I'm trying to figure out what is the best approach? Is it to wholesale? You know, cause that's quick money. You know, it allows, we're really, we're solving two problems. We're solving a problem for a seller that has a, a problem property that they need to sell quickly. And we're, we're solving a problem for an investor that needs an off market discounted property. They wouldn't otherwise find without me. Right. Right. So first and foremost, we're going to see if it's a wholesale opportunity. If it's not, it's actually better as a fix and flip, then you know what, we're going to go down that route. But there's a lot of other creative ways you can go about it, right? So not every deal could be a wholesale deal. We can't always buy it at a wholesale price. So is it possible to sell or fi- have the seller finance it for us? Can we create a wrap note out of, out of the deal and use that as long-term cash flow and, and wealth building for myself and the company? Right. Um, it, you know, we're just looking at every different approach that we can to make sure we maximize every deal. So let's talk about that real quick. When you're say, when you're at the appointment or you're analyzing the deal and you're trying to decide, Hey, what's the best play here? At what point in time are you making the decision on, Hey, maybe we should offer seller financing or, you know, Hey, we want to try to make a subject to offer or something along those lines on the more creative side. When do you, when do you all make that decision within your company? So it really comes down to the very forefront of talking with a seller because at the end of the day, it has nothing to do with me or my company as buying this asset. It has everything to do with the seller and what is going on for them. What is their reasoning behind why they picked up the phone and called or responded to our online ad or, you know, talk to a cold call, whatever it is. Why did they do that? Right. So within that fact finding, we can find out a lot of things. Do they have a mortgage? What the payment is, what the term is, you know, that can maybe see if that's an option. We can understand mm-hmm. if they own it free and clear, you know, would they, would they entertain carrying paper or being the bank for us, you know, and through this fact finding, it kind of starts to eliminate opportunities or different um, possibilities for us. Right. Because, you know, if, if they, 
the only house free and clear, but they, you know, they need to sell today. They don't want to carry the paper. Um, that, that eliminates some of the different exit strategies for us. So a lot of that comes from the very beginning. So let's, you know, I, I think the answer that you gave, and I'm not picking on you when I say this, I, I think as podcast hosts, you and I both experience this frequently. Like the people that do multiple strategies, would they talk about, okay, I wholesale, I flip, I buy rentals. Okay. They, those are like the, the top three main ones. Right. And then they say, I analyze those deals and I make the best decision for my company for you and I, because we both are podcast hosts and we both do that within our companies. I want to dive into that a little bit and try to hopefully help people that are struggling with that within their companies. Like how do we make those decisions on like more specifically, if say you decide you're going to buy it, how do you decide if it's going to be a flip or a rental? Like what, what is the deciding factor for you and your company and, and between those two strategies? So I, this is a great time. I'm buying two condos right now. Um, they're in the central, central part of Phoenix. They're condos. I'm buying one. It's a one bedroom condo for $70,000. I'm buying a two bedroom condo literally right above it uh, for $77,000. Now the one bedroom can rent for eight fifty dollars to nine fifty dollars a month is the rental rate. The two bedroom can rent for nine fifty to ten fifty a month, mm -hmm. right? So at seventy and seventy seven thousand, those are great cap rates. If I'm going right. to just put a renter in there, that's a great opportunity. But even a better opportunity would be if I could create a note out of that and actually sell or finance it to a tenant buyer or somebody that's going to go in and and actually you know buy the property from me, and I would become the bank. And right. the reason why I look at it that way is I'm taking the properties down and buying them initially with private money. Now my private money cost is not low enough for like a long-term hold, but it is for the short term. I could probably hold on to it for a year with the private money. And yeah, it's going to cost me a little money, but you know, it's not, I'm not paying 18% interest on that. Right. right. So when I'm looking at that deal of like, okay, do I want to flip that or do I want to make it a rental? It really looks good from a rental standpoint because worst case scenarios, I just put a rental in there. I go to a bank, I do long-term financing and refinance mm -hmm. out of the private money into long-term financing. And I have a renter in there. I have a good cap rate because of my cost basis originally when I buy the asset and what I can rent it for. So that's, that's really the safest approach. Mm -hmm. But if I want to try to diversify my own portfolio and say, I want to create a note out of it. Well, now I have more opportunity, right? Creating notes, I don't know. Uh, it, it might be a bit advanced. I don't know for some that are. Oh listening. man, we we talk about it all the time. I love I love seller finance, owner financing. So let let's talk about it. All right. So let's say um, properties. Uh, let's use a one bedroom for an example. I'm right. buying it for seventy thousand. It's worth one hundred and ten if it's fixed up. That's the ARB on the deal. Okay, so. I'm buying it with 10% private money, no points, just 10% straight at, straight across the board, right. no points. Right. All of my payments are due in a they're, they're due uh, when I they sell approve. the asset. Right. So, yep, yep, they're they're deferred. So, I buy the property for 70,000, 10% interest, right? And I go and I say I find a, a tenant buyer, somebody that wants to buy in that or that would be interested in buying it, and I'm going to get 20. 20 to 25% down for down payment from that person. Mm -hmm. now, I'm going to sell them that asset at the market value. So I'm going to sell it to them at $110,000. That means that they're going to give me 20 to $25,000 down, maybe $30,000 down. And then I'm going to create a note out of it. Now that note, because they're a penalty box type buyer, they're going to charge a little bit more. I'm going to be able to charge them a little bit more interest than a bank would. 
So right now you can go get bank financing at four, four and a half, you know, 5% interest yep. for these uh, long-term loans. So maybe I charge them 6% interest. Okay. Um, I'm going to make a spread on the difference between what I pay. Well, I guess I should back up. I'm going to have to refinance my original underlying debt. Okay. That's either going to be through a traditional bank where I'm going to get that four or four and a half percent money, or I'm going to go to another lender that I have in my pocket that is a long-term lender that may, maybe they'll give it to me at four or 5%. You know, I do have a couple of those, right? So then I would make an arbitrage on the difference in payment every month. Um, and then the way the amortization works, you, you know, you pay a lot more interest up front, And as the loan goes on over time, you, you reduce that interest payment and more goes towards principal. So let's say the average person, if I'm going to give them a 30 year note, the tenant buyer I'm going to put in the property. If I'm going to give them a 30 year loan, right? Mm -hmm. Majority of people pay those off in like seven, seven to 10 years, right? They're going to go and they're going to either refinance it or they're going to sell it or whatever. If they do that in the seven year time frame, then I'm going to get a pretty good payday because of how the amortization schedule is paid, right? right. So <clears throat> that's really probably the most profitable way to do it. Now, what you'd give up when you, if you were to sell or finance it, and I, Am I going too fast and too no, crazy? No, keep going. No, you're good. All right. All right. So <clears throat> if I was to sell or finance the property and not keep it as a rental, then I give up a couple of things. What I give up is um, I give up the depreciation off the asset, mm -hmm. which really, if you look at it in the long term, in the long run, is not really, you're not really giving up anything because what we know about depreciation is if you sell that asset, you have a thing called depreciation recapture. We're going to have to recapture that at the highest rate possible when you go to sell it. Right. Okay. You're not really recapturing it or you're not, you're not saving that money in the long run. You just are in the short term. Right. Right. Um, but what I gain out of that is, so these two condos, they both have HOAs and the HOA is $225 a month. Yep. If I sell it, I don't have to, I no longer am responsible for taxes. I don't have to pay for insurance. I don't have to pay for HOA. So these are two, I mean, that's probably another three or $400, maybe even $500 a month that I'm going to avoid having to pay out of my pocket for these assets. As well as maintenance, any vacancy. If you've ever been a landlord, what you understand is vacancy is always going to come up and it's always going to be at minimum one month. I mean, there, there's no way that you can move someone out, get it cleaned up, find someone else to come in. It's a minimum of one month. And when you look at the cash flow on that, that is like crippling to what it does to you if you're only making a couple hundred dollars a month anyways, especially if they turn over and leave after one year. That's the worst thing that can happen. And so you're removing that as well. And also capital expenditures. I know you're kind of in a market that, you know, you don't have some of the craziness, but y'all do have hail storms there, but you should have insurance. Um, you got the crazy haboobs out there sometimes, you know, but, uh, you know, sometimes those capital expenditures, AC units are, are huge out there, you know, and because you live in the desert, it's 110, 120 degrees. So you have to have AC units and owning those as a landlord, you know, you're removing that expense also that when you really look at it, it's like, Hey, if I have to go replace an AC unit for just call it $3,500, I mean, think about how many months you have to own the property to capture that $3,500. So uh, yeah, so owner finance is a, is a powerful strategy to 
remove some of those uh, concerns. Now, another thing that, and I think this is probably going to be your second point you brought up was people always talk about, but I'm going to lose the right to capture appreciation as well on owning the property. I personally, I will never, ever in my company count on appreciation for anything. It's just not a concern of mine. It's a, it's a bonus if it actually happens. So that's why I have no problem owner financing. You know, we've done it a lot with our, our rental properties. And another thing that you can do is you can actually have both of these. You can have a property for a rental and convert your tenant into your buyer after those first couple of years. We've done that and that's a beautiful scenario where it's they're your tenant for two years and then you go to them and say, hey, um, your lease is coming up in a couple of months. Would you be interested in buying this house? I mean, you've lived here for 24 months. Don't you want it to become your home? And you know, well, the reason why we rent is because we don't have good credit. I don't care about your credit. I'll become the bank. If you can just you know, somehow raise X amount of dollars for a down payment, I'll become the bank and you can become a homeowner. And suddenly you become a savior to your tenants. You know, so it, it, it's a beautiful scenario, man. It's one of my favorite strategies. So I'm glad, glad you brought that up. So yeah, uh, it's, 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 it's huge, man. And to be honest, when you're talking about appreciation, it's just like the past and the future. The past is no longer here anymore. It will never come back. And so therefore you should basically forget about it because it's not, it's not ever coming back. Right. The future on the same, on the same thing is, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Hell, we could both be dead tomorrow for all we know, right? So you don't know what's going to happen. So don't count on that either. What you need to live in is the today. What does today look like? Right. You know, how, how do we maximize today? Of course, you got to plan for the future a little bit, but you, we don't know. So let's talk about your flips. Are you mainly buying houses and, and trying to convert them into either a rental or owner finance? Or are you still doing the traditional flips where you're just selling them on the retail market? Um, so actually probably 95% of what we do is still in the wholesale, in the wholesale market gotcha. on the deals where we aren't able to wholesale them. They're not going to be a good rental and they don't, I'm not doing full flips right now. We're not gotcha. doing full gut, gut remodels, uh, and putting back on the retail market because of where we're at in the market cycle. I don't want to expose myself to that right now. And so what we're doing, if we're going to be flipping, we're going to do easy, you know, easy remodels, maybe going in there putting some new cabinets in, maybe doing some flooring, maybe, you know, removing popcorn and making an old house look right. a little bit newer, of course, paint, but nothing major. We're not moving walls. We're not adding square footage. That's just right. not what I'm doing. Well, you're a wise man. I, I think it, the, where we are right now, like you said, in the market cycle and specifically your market, Phoenix, Arizona, yeah. it's scary times out there. You know, I mean, it, it's, that's some crazy wild, wild west stuff that's going on out there. I mean, people are buying stuff at stupid prices and it just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me because that was one of the markets that was heavily impacted back in 08 and 09. And it's as if everyone just forgot that that happened and that the possibility of that happening is, is still there. Um, you, you would think that would be one of the markets that is more conservative but it's almost like because it was hit so hard and because for so long there was this great opportunity there that it's been forgotten about and for lack of a better way of putting it i think it also has to play in the part of y'all are 
like Phoenix, Arizona is like the, the guru central out there. I feel like everybody out there has like some kind of education program and, and I'm not saying anything bad. I think some of my, my best friends and, and people that I look up to in this business are out there, but um, it, it's an, it's an interesting market for sure. And, and so I think you're being very wise and, majority of your business being on the wholesaling side and focusing on, Hey, there's people out there that are willing to pay for this. Um, when you do your marketing in a hot market like this, are you specific to a type of property or a price point that you're going after? Or are you kind of buckshot going after anything that, that can come your way? No, no, we're really very, very specific. So what I did was actually build an avatar uh, back at the beginning of this year, 2019. I built an avatar for the last two years of, of purchases I bought of exactly the property and, and the person that I was buying from. Gotcha. So what that allowed me to do is just say, and what I was selling too, because it doesn't do you any good to buy a property, even if it's a great deal, but if you have nobody to sell it to and you're not going to take it down and flip it yourself, right what's the point? You're just wasting time, money, and energy, right? Yep. So we built the avatar and now that's what we go after. Now it's a pretty wide net because Maricopa County of Phoenix, mm -hmm. uh, the Phoenix and MSA all around it um, is big. Yeah, I mean, we got plenty of households to go after, right? Huh. And so we drop anywhere 25 to 30,000 mail pieces a month um, that are targeted. And then also cold calling also, uh, Google AdWords, pay-per-click, um, doing some RVM and some email campaigns as well. So let's talk about the direct mail because you're in a very hot market and direct mail can really be difficult in a hot market if you're, if you're not good at it, you know I mean? So what do you think are some of the best tips that you give the people that want to try direct mail in a hot market that can make it successful. Uh, first and hands down, if you want to be successful, consistency is your, is your best friend, yep. no matter what. And I mean, no matter what you send that marketing every month, whether you have money to do it or not, you find the money and you send the marketing because, um, you know, direct mail is one of those things that, it, you know, you're going to send it out today. You might not feel that for, you know, another month, two months. It might be a year before you get a phone call. But somebody's right. going to, if you have a good, I guess it's another part, you have to have a good, solid marketing letter mm -hmm. um, that is not, doesn't look sleazy, doesn't look cheap. My letter is very professional. It's very to the point. Um, we're, we're, there's no hidden secrets. It doesn't look like, you know, we're, we're hiding anything. Um, you know, we make reference to being better business bureau rated, make sure that they know where they can go to take a look at us and consistency. I mean, I go back to that. So I've been sending here in Phoenix for five, uh, six years, I guess, every single month, every month I've sent 25, 30,000 mail pieces every month. How many, Just doesn't stop. how often are you changing the list that you're hitting? Cause I think that's something so that the, the consistency is important. Right. And, and I think. I would agree with you like wholeheartedly. That is the most important part of any form of marketing, but specifically with direct mail. But how often are you saying, okay, we've hit that list enough times we're going to change or do you ever do that? Yeah. So we're every month we're adding to the existing list, but we're changing the entire list every quarter. Okay. Okay. So there's also two variations of the list. We have a non-distressed list and a distressed list and they're going together. They're, 
they're going out together, but they're also going out at a different time. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. If that makes sense. So within that, within the, the quarter time period there, everybody's going to get hit multiple times, both on the distress list and non-distress list because they have to kind of overlap and we're going to send them out every, every month. They're dropping every week rather. Right. They're just breaking up into months at a time. And when you're sending out the direct mail, are you wanting them to call you? Yep. Yep. And then when so they call not, you, how are you handling the lead intake? Is it you're trying to close on the phone right then and there, or you're scheduling an appointment? So the leads, our leads manager here takes all the incoming calls. Um, either that or acquisitions will sometimes as well, but right. take the incoming call. First, we're really just understanding why they took the, you know, the initiative to pick up the phone and call. Because right. if you think about it, direct mail especially, if somebody got, you know, when was the last time you went to your mailbox, you opened it up, you went out there, you grabbed a piece of mail, you looked at it, you opened it, read the letter, and then picked up the phone and called. Right. You, there was right. some sort of motivation of some sort for you to do that. Because I can tell you the majority of my mail goes from the mailbox to the trash can, right? right. And that's for most people. So mm -hmm. there was some motivation there. So I want to try to understand why did they pick up that phone and call? Once we know even a little bit of that, boom, set the appointment. And the reason we want to set that appointment right away is because let's say we set the appointment for later today, or let's say we set it for tomorrow. As soon as we get off that phone, two things have happened. Number one, that seller has already committed to themselves that they have somebody coming over to their house. And so let's say somebody else calls with the same similar type of message. They say, well, sure, you can come, but I already have somebody else coming first. Okay. So that bought you you know, that opportunity to get in the door. Right. Second thing is now you've bought yourself a little bit of time because once you hang up the phone, you can actually look up, let's say you don't get a whole lot of information on the call and you don't know anything about the property. Really? You can look up the property. There's a lot of information that we get online. So you can look up the property, the ownership status. You can see how long they've owned it. You can see old MLS photos or current MLS photos or whatever it is. You can see a lot of that online. And then you can make your distinction at that point if you need to call that seller back and say, hey, you know, we took a little bit of a look online. You know, you just bought this house last year. There's really right. no equity, whatever it is. You can cancel the appointment. You can change the appointment. I mean, at that point, you're controlling what, what the outcome is there. So that's one of the biggest, I guess one of the biggest things I have flip-flopped as the, the owner of my company has been, do I want to set an appointment or do I want to try to buy the house over the phone? And, and the reason why is because there's times where we've been successful doing both. And, and it's like, there's nothing worse than when I try to sell the house or when I try to buy the house over the phone and I get to the moment and it's like, okay, I got them. I sold it. Like they're, they're, they're sold. They're, they're going to buy They're going to sell their house to me. And then they say, yeah, but I can't sign a contract right now because I'm meeting with this guy, Scott, tomorrow at two. And it's like, because <gasps> now I shot my shot, right? It's over. I can't be like, oh, well, let me come tomorrow at 2.30. You know, they're kind of <laughs> like, no, 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 you already told me your offer and we're, we're good, right? But then there's also times where I've said, hey, let me come to the house tomorrow at two o'clock. And then I get the call at 12 and they're like, Hey, Scott called me yesterday and he bought my house. And it's like, oh man, like I could have tried. So I've always gone back and forth. So 
Have you ever tried to to close on the phone, or are you have you always just been dead set on we're we're scheduling an appointment? So for the longest time, and I still run on a lot of appointments because it's what I enjoy to do. Yep, me too. Uh, I really do. Um, and so I've tried to buy over the phone, and I always just come back to well, I need to go on the appointment because right. I put myself in the seller situation. Number one, I'm gonna shine if I get in front of that person in per in person, unless there's like a a, a really outstanding reason of why they're not going to sell their house to me that day. I'm getting that house. Right. I've just built that type of, I've been able to do that and well, I really enjoy it. But let's talk about that for a second. Why do you and I both feel that way? Well, first it we, gives us energy, right? Like it's something yeah. you and I enjoy doing, but there's literally nothing more important to like our entire lives than buying houses. Like I am going to be passionate about this. Like I am going to go there to solve that seller's problem. And we're going to get down to it. Like, I'm like you, man, there's going to be some serious reason as to why they're not going to sell me their house. It's not going to just be because, hey, you know, I, I don't like you or anything. Like, We're going to find a way to make this work and we're going to solve the problem. So I think that's important for people to understand why we both feel that way. And we want to continue to do that. We've chosen to run our companies that way. And we want to do that because it, First and foremost, I would assume it's because we both started small and that's what, when you first start small, that's what you do. It's like, you have to go do acquisitions and then followed by dispositions and everything else that goes on. And it's just one of those things where, you know, you just kind of want to stay within that role a little bit because it's like, you're still staying in touch with your company, no matter how many people you have. So when, when you run an appointment and you're sitting down with a seller, what are some of the tips that you would give? I just had John Martinez on a couple episodes ago, so uh, I don't want to put you on too much of a spot and, and have you try to, to beat the man, the legend himself of sales. But what are a couple of tips that you would give that, that you think differentiate you from some of your competitors that you could close the deal on the spot? So first and foremost, I mean, I'm just going to actually piggyback off of what John teaches because that's where I learned everything about it. I mean, right. John's, John's uh, model of sales is absolutely on point. And, you know, he, he comes from a, a personal standpoint, right? Mm-hmm. He's understanding about how, what makes people, you know, it's a very emotional decision. It's not logical of why people are deciding to sell their house. It's right. for a, an extreme discount. It's an emotional reason, right? So I guess what differentiates me is I'm following the same procedure as a lot of people because let's be honest a lot of people use john martinez Mm -hmm. but i'm i'm i try to just it's not about me it's never about me when i'm at those appointments it's about them it's about what is going on for them how do i solve their problem and so i try to listen i try to be there i try to listen to what you know what it is that that is, is causing them to be in this situation and why are they why are we talking why am i even there you know and then i can try to construct a solution for them and I, give, I can give them multiple solutions if they want it, right? So that's kind of where the differentiator comes, as well as just being a person. You know, I, I'm not pushy. I'm not there to sell them on anything. I'm there to solve a problem for them and give them an opportunity to solve their own problem. That's not me selling them on anything else. I, I think you said, you've said a couple of things throughout this interview that I think are very important for people to take away from this. On your marketing you were short and concise and to the point, but you also sold your company a little bit with, hey, 
we're BBB rated. You can trust us. Do you put a, do you put like a link to your website on your marketing? So we don't, we do not put a link to the website on the marketing on, on purpose. It's 2019. Everybody knows if they want to look up a company, they get online and type it in and they're going to find us. It's right. hbsbholdings.com. It's the same thing as what, you know, so we, I don't, I don't give people that option, but what we found was when I was actually putting my, my uh, URL and my email address on there is the response rate went down on the marketing. So people were, instead of going to going to pick up the phone and call, they would get on the website or they would send an email. Right. Now, that's a cop-out because you have no personal interaction with anybody when that happens. Exactly. So you lose that touch and that, that personal feel with somebody. Therefore, you can lose opportunities. And that's what I found. So that, that's a very good point. So going back to what I was saying, you sell your company a little bit with some you know, accolades like, hey, you, know, you can trust us, BBB rated, whatnot. And then when you go on the appointment yourself, you're no longer selling your company or selling yourself. You are there to understand what their problem is and understand that it's an emotional decision that they're about to make. And then you're there to solve the problem. Those are like very key factors that are going to differentiate yourself. Um, for anybody that's been doing this for a long time, you've shown up at an appointment where there's multiple investors. Like that, that's inevitable. You're going to show up and it's like, oh, well, there's Johnny, you know, he, he's over there. And then you have that awkward moment of I'm going, you know, Johnny's in the kitchen talking to the seller and I'm sitting in the living room trying to listen to what he's saying, you know, like, oh, I'm really staring hard at this corner of drywall, but in all reality, I'm trying to listen to what he's saying. And it's that awkward mode, but I've heard investors like how they try to close the deal. And a lot of times it goes to bragging about who they are, making these unwarranted promises that the, the seller doesn't really want to hear. And then it finally gets down to the number. And in all reality, what you're saying is, is that's really not what you're doing at all. You're going in there and just listening to what they have to say. Let them do the majority of the talking because in all reality, you can ruin your process by talking too much. You just listen and they'll tell you every answer that you need if the motivation is there. And then you're just solving the problems that they just told you. So I think those are amazing um, key factors there uh, on the, the sales process and just to kind of how to differentiate yourself from, from other people. Uh, I mean, did you kind of have anything else to add there about that process? You know, I learned the process only through experience. So when I talk about this stuff, it's, it's, I went there and I did talk too much and I realized I killed the deal. You know, I've gone, I bought, I don't know, somewhere close to probably 300 houses. I don't know what the exact number is, but somewhere in that ballpark since I've started doing this business, that's a lot of houses. Yeah. But that means I've probably gone on, I don't know, not six, seven, eight, nine hundred appointments. I mean, I've right. gone on a ton of appointments, right? I've done a lot of everything wrong. I've made the mistake. I've seen it not work. So then I figured out, okay, well, what if I just shut up? Yep. What if I just don't talk very much and I just let them talk and let them express how they're feeling, what's going on? You know? So I, I have an interesting question. This will so piggyback off of uh, my interview with John because I asked him. So uh, Ryan Robeson, my partner at Next Level Flipping, and I, uh, we had a disagreement about what you do when you first walk in the door. I said, 
I'm going to read the seller, but more often than not, we're going to walk the house and I'm going to let the, t- the seller tell me about the house. And that's how I'm going to build rapport is off of the house. And then we're going to go sit down and talk. Ryan is uh, a fan, not even a fan. He's, he's adamant on the fact that we are going to go sit down at the kitchen table. He is going to ask for a glass of water and he is going to talk to the seller for 20 to 30 minutes and then walk the house and then make his offer. What do you do when you first walk in the door? So I do not sit down. I actually hate, I do not like really sitting down at the kitchen table right off the bat. So when I come into the presentation, before I get there, I kind of let them know over the phone what we're going to be doing there. I'm going to come there. I'm going to take a look at the house. Okay. Right. When I get to the front door, I say, okay, we're going to spend the next 15 or 20 minutes. I'd like, you know, I walk in, I say, hi, I introduce myself. Good to meet you. How are you doing today? Hope you're having a great day. And then I lay out the framework. We're going to spend the next 15, 20 minutes, walk around the house. I just want you to tell me everything you know about the property. You know, yep. if there are any leaks, you know anything about it, they may or they may not, but just let me know. And throughout that, we're going to have a conversation just as we walk through certain rooms. You know, did you live here? No, you didn't. Oh, you did. You grew up here. You have your kids here. Whatever it is, you start to just learn more about them. After we do our 15 to 20 minutes, uh, we'll actually sit down at the table and we'll talk about our options. You know, we'll talk about what's, you know, what the possible next steps might look like. Yep. And we'll try to go over any, you know, any problems or questions that you have, and I'll be able to answer those as best as I can. And if we come out of here at the end where, you know, we can't come to an agreement, that's okay too. At least I'll get right. a chance to hang out with you for a little bit. See, my thought process has always been, it makes the seller a lot more comfortable to talk about what we're actually there to talk about, which is the house. And Ryan is a fan of making them uncomfortable up front and then building the rapport by making them feel comfortable by talking about their kids or, or maybe whatever the distress factor is and relate to it and tell story. And I see the benefit in both, to be honest with you. It's just a, to me, I think it's more about whichever you, you are more comfortable in. I don't like to be awkward right off the beginning because my fear is we're never going to get out of the awkwardness. And, <laughs> and, and, and Ryan's an expert at getting out of the awkwardness and suddenly making it like, dude, I really like this guy. Like you were super weird like 10 minutes ago and you made things really awkward, but now I really like you, you know? And so that's his like, superpower mine is not you know it's like let's let's walk around let's talk about the house and then from there maybe we'll see a picture or a dog or a kid or something and then we can relate about those topics there so i think um, you do you do two things so with the comfortability side of things right i just want to be me and me is not being awkward that's just you know i'm i like to be personable i like to you know you're right we came there to show up for the house why is it that we go to the talk sit down at the table. I don't know. I feel like people read, can read through that. And they, they think, you know, scam, what's this guy, you know, he's, right. he's over here talking about whatever, not nothing to do with the house, but that's the reason why we're here. Now, of course you can make side talk and short talk or whatever, but I like to just be genuine. We're there to talk about the house and talk about the house and sprinkle in something about the kids or whatever along the way. Right. And you know what? Another thing is, is talking about being genuine John talks about going negative, right? Right at the beginning, like, hey, I'm here. You know, not all houses are a good fit for me. I only buy about 10% of the houses I see. 
I had to twist that a little bit because I had to be genuine. And so what I say is, is, Hey, I want to buy all the houses. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. I want to buy every house in the United States. Okay. But not all the times are they a good fit for my company because we can't come to an agreement. So I hope we can. And it kind of almost puts the onus back on them. Like, Hey, I'm not going to overpay for your house. Like, I hope we can come to an agreement. Um, cause I want to buy your house, but we just have to make sure it's a good fit for us. And then we start the walkthrough process and it kind of immediately makes them know that, Hey, I'm pretty serious about this, but I'm also not a, a, a dummy and I'm not going to overpay for it. And kind of sets that expectation up front. So anyways, man, I, I really appreciate you kind of diving into that a little bit because I think sometimes a lot of, you know, I remember when I went on my first like 15, 20 appointments and it was like, yeah, everybody talks about going on appointments and, and things like that. But what do you say? What do you do? And, and like you said, man, we, we both, we, we just have failed forward um, throughout our process. And man, there's nothing worse than when you leave the house and you go around the corner and you just kind of pull over and you're like, I screwed that one up. Like that one was on me. Like I, I didn't say the right things. Uh, Cassie and I go on a lot of appointments together and there's been, we always recap it like afterwards. And it's like, it's always awkward when one of us screwed up at the beginning because the other person had to tell them like, Hey, RJ, you shouldn't have said that during the appointment. And you know, did you see the body language? And yeah, I saw the body language. Okay. Yeah. We're not going to do that in the future. Yeah, I know. All right. Let, let's, let's go back to the grind. And you know, those are uncomfortable conversations that you kind of have to have with yourself or with your partner. But through that, you know, now we rarely have to have those conversations. And it's almost like we can reference back in our heads and have body language between us. Or even like when we get a moment, it's like, hey, remember that time during the Stone Meadow appointment? Like, let's do, let's try to do that again because I think this is the same situation, you know? And it's just experience, man. And, but there's no way you could do that without being consistent within your marketing. So you talked about direct mail, you're doing a lot of other things. Um, one thing that you brought up was a little bit of email marketing. Is that because when you're doing your skip tracing for the cold calling, you're getting emails, so why the hell not? Or is that actually a, a method that you're getting success with? Yeah, so, uh, you know, we have tons of leads that have come. we got about 3,500 leads over the last few years that have come into the system, right? And now I haven't bought 3,500 houses. Shoot, I wish I would, but right. I haven't. That means that there's a lot of people in there that I have their email address, we've communicated, they've reached out to me, we either could or couldn't come to an agreement on something, but they're in the system. So back when I first talked to them, it wasn't a deal, wasn't a fit, wasn't, you know, and that might be three years ago. Right. So think of everything that's happened to you in the last three years. So something right. might've changed. Now, we're always calling people, everybody goes on the follow-up. Like my follow-up is key. That is like the number one thing for me in my, we were just having a meeting this morning about it. Follow-up, follow-up, follow-up. Just never let them, no lead left behind. Nobody right. ever falls through the cracks, right? So email is just another way to touch them. It's another, like right now, we're getting ready to send out a after Thanksgiving gratitude email to everybody that I've ever talked to just saying, hey, you know, we just went through the Thanksgiving holiday. I'm super grateful I've had the chance to communicate with you or contact with you. Um, you know, we may or may not have been able to come to terms on an opportunity in the past, but you know, we're just to let you know, we're still out here and, you know, we're still looking to buy. And, you know, we actually have opened up some new buying criteria. So maybe it would, 
you know, if you're still thinking about selling, you know, let's reopen the conversation and see if there might be, you know, we might be able to pay more. Or we might be able to make an offer that works for both of us. Well, the other thing is, is like I talked about in your, in your specific market. I mean, if it was three years ago, a lot's changed in your market in three years. Right. You know, right. I mean, maybe yeah. them wanting 70000 for that one bedroom, one bath condo three years ago was not a deal. And now you look at it and you're like, yeah, now it's a deal, you know? So- <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll give you that seventy thousand you wanted, you know. And a lot of times, the sellers, you know, their their situation hasn't really changed a, a whole lot, and they're still in their mind saying, "I that's what I want. I want seventy thousand. And so now it could be a deal for you, or maybe now you have a buyer that's looking for a specific property that you didn't have three years ago. You know, it's like you said, you just now made your avatar in the beginning of 2019. Maybe that's not what you, where you were as a wholesaler in 2017 when you initially talked to them. So a lot, I, I like that, man. That's really cool. Cause yeah, everybody talks about follow-up, but you're, I mean, you're doing direct mail, cold calling. I, I'm assuming you're doing cold calling to the same people that you're just sending direct mail, right? They're not two separate lists. So we're doing, we're doing both. So we do to the, the list that we're direct mailing, uh, actually have a, an off it's thousand calls a day. That's doing that. Uh, right. they're a Philippine based company. Yep. And then we're also doing specialty lists within the different, the different markets that we're calling on internally here in the office. Yeah. And, and I like that, man, because you're, you're changing it up there a little bit. Those, those specialty, those niche lists, it's very important that you're hitting those frequently but those niche lists can die out pretty quickly. You know, um, those, those situations are either going to be hit hard by other investors and they're going to sell quickly, or that situation is going to mandate that the house is either going to be taken away or something's going to change the process if they don't sell to an investor. So it's important to hit both of those. Um, I know that the reason why you actually ended up on the podcast outside of the fact that we're, I've been on your show and we're buddies, but, um, you actually made a post that uh, you have an initiative, a mission that you're you're trying to get behind and, and you want to get on, I think it was 20 or 25 podcasts before the end of 2019. So I'm thankful that uh, you picked the Titanium Vault to be on one, but share with everyone what was that mission and, and what, are, what are you trying to get behind for the end of the year? So really, really excited about kind of what we've decided to get behind. There's a nonprofit called Midwest Food Bank that is here in Phoenix. They're actually, they have 11 locations all over the U.S., uh, one in Haiti, uh, well, nine, I guess, throughout the U.S., one in Haiti, and one in East Africa. And what they do is they provide uh, food to the food shelters. They distribute it. And it's just one, um, the, the founder of this company, I believe he's the founder, he's I'm pretty sure he is. He's also a lender, a friend, um, just has the biggest heart out there. He just loves to give. And, um, you know, he, he started this. And so my initiative here is we want to raise $5,000. It's a small number, but $5,000 to donate to Midwest Food Bank by the end of the year. Um, and then whatever we end up raising through the, the fundraiser here, I'm going to match so we can give double nice. that amount, which is going to be really exciting. We're also going to be donating our time, which is the most important thing, uh, on December 16th uh, for just for three hours. So it's going to be a lot of fun. We're probably 15th, 14th, 14th, December 14th. One of those days. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm excited about it. It's going to be fun. Yeah. We made t-shirts. Awesome, for 
one of the, you know, when, when I got into real estate investing, obviously it was for financial freedom, freedom of time. And there became a point where making money was not as exciting as it was at one point in time, because I realized that giving to people just like we give on our podcasts, um, we don't make any money off of our podcasts. I mean, I don't know if people out there actually think that you do. I mean, uh, we're, we're, we're poor, broken podcast hosts. Okay. We, we don't make any money off of this. Now we, there are benefits to doing this though. And one of those is talking about initiatives like this, just like we have with beat kids cancer here. Um, I love what you're doing, man. Giving back, um, is something that I'm so proud of this industry. There's a lot of people that talk about the negative aspects of the real estate investing community. The people that come in and want to act like they're gurus and they don't actually know these large seminars that go around and charge these 50, 60, $100,000 and tell people to rack up their credit card bills. And those are the negative side of things, but that's neither here nor there because the thing for me is, is seeing the giving nature of this industry, the people like yourself, that there's, there's really no reason for you to do this other than it's, hey, something I want to get behind, support my buddy who's one of your private money lenders, which is an amazing reciprocal relationship there, and give back to the less, the, less fortunate. You know, it's, uh, that's one of the most proud things about this industry to me, uh, because there's, a, there's always something negative that can be said about any industry. Uh, but very few industries are willing to rally together. Um, some of my really good friends in your market, um, the Batch Group, Batch Skip Tracing, Jason yep. oh, yeah. Jamil, Steve yep. Train, T Brent Daniels at TTP, they just did a toy drive out there, man, and they donated yep. $10,000 worth of toys yesterday. They all dressed up like elves. Yep, I and, saw uh, that. You know, it's, it's just amazing. So I uh, love what you're doing. Um, for anybody that's interested in helping out with Scott's um, initiative here and giving, you know, donating proceeds to help uh, get food for this, we're going to drop in in the show notes. We'll have a link there. Um, if you're in the Phoenix area, are they able to come out on December 14th and help you out? 100%, yes. Awesome. Uh, we're going to have t-shirts. We're trying to get um, uh, as many people as we possibly can. It's three hours. It's going to be a blast. I've right. donated my time there before, and it's a lot of fun. You know, at these different nonprofits and, and things where people are donating their time, the craziest part is everybody's happy. Right. Everybody's in a great mood. And the reason why is because they're giving, and that's the secret to life. It really it is, is, man. Well, there's nothing better. There's no better way to wrap up the show than that. The secret of life uh, is is giving right there. So, Scott, thank you so much for taking the time, man. Um, I'm so, so honored that you picked uh, the Titanium Vault to be one of your podcasts to come on and share. Um, you shared some great wisdom about real estate investing and the acquisition side of things. Felt like we probably could have gone on for a couple more hours just diagnosing this entire business. But uh, thanks for taking the time, buddy. And uh, any final words before we sign off here? RJ, thank you for for having me on the show, man. Hopefully, uh, you know, you have a good rest of the year. Um, and just super grateful. So thank you. Absolutely. And for everyone that's listening, if they want to tune into your podcast, where's the best way that they can find it? Oh yeah. Gotta, gotta end off on this. So right. I have the invest this podcast 
something really, really exciting in 2020. First part of January 2020 is we're going to be launching Investus 2.0. Uh, it's uh, Invest This Wealth Mindset, where we're going to be interviewing people about the mindset that they have to the creation of wealth that they have, which is going to be really, really exciting. You're not going to want to miss it. Uh, please tune into the show. You can go to investthispodcast.com. And you can find me all over the social media is at the Scott Bauer, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, you name it. Uh, get behind the cause and, uh, yeah, ask me any questions. I'm always here to help. Yeah, and when you search for him on Instagram, it's the Scott Bauer, but his picture is the one where he looks like he's an epic MMA fighter about <laughs> to go in. Uh, I was actually making the, the thumbnail for uh, for today's uh, interview, and uh, I showed it to Cassie. I said, what do you think about this? And she goes, oh, that's cool. It looks like he's about to like go into the ring and like fight someone. <laughs> I was like, all right, we're going to use this one. So, uh, <laughs> all right, buddy, thanks so much for sitting down with us. All right, man. I'll talk to you, RJ. See you, man. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Titanium Vault with your host, RJ Bates III. For more info and to stay up to date, visit www.podcast.thetitaniumvault.com and on facebook.com slash thetitaniumvault. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time on the Titanium Vault. Titanium Vault.